Shalom everybody, I'm the LK Bridgeford and this is Unmarginalized. Before we begin, please note that the following episode contains discussions about ableism, sexism and sexual violence. So please take care as you listen and check out our show notes for support options. This episode was created from the launch event of the Unmarginalized Season 2 that I produced and hosted in October 2022 as a part of Melbourne Fringe Festival. This was my first time recording live with an audience and I loved experiencing people's responses and reactions to the content. The episode is an edited version of the event and includes the story behind the podcast, a live interview with Carly Finlay and an audience Q&A. All right, let's jump in. Shalom, everybody. I'm Liel K. Bridgeford, and this is Unmarginalized. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge the traditional honors of the land on which we are meeting today the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to the elders past, present, and emerging. Some housekeeping business before we begin. I'm a white-looking person in my early 30s with uh, brown shoulder-length hair that's pulled back at the moment, and I am wearing a very colourful jacket, a golden top and a burgundy dress, and very colourful earrings as well. The last final thing to get out of the way is my name. Yeah. So my name is Liel and many of you Aussies, if you identify as an Aussie, really struggle to grasp how to say it. And look, it's not your fault. My mom, who is actually here tonight from overseas, thanks for coming. Um, she never thought I'd be living here, so she didn't bother to check with you how you might pronounce it. And so I really want to help you. So we're going to do this one time. I'm going to say my name again, and then we're going to say it together, okay? <laughs> Ready? My name is Liel, and now you. Liel. Good job. That's it. So when you're going to tell all of your friends about the podcast after tonight, just practice saying it over and over, okay? Great. And if you don't know who I am, my name is Liel K. Bridgeford. I'm a writer, poet, podcaster and a disability and justice advocate. By day, I also practice as a provisional psychologist and a trainer. Uh, that's a mouthful. And I identify as a proud, disabled person, an immigrant, and a non-conforming female. And now, let me tell you about the story behind the Unmarginalized podcast. In one of the most locked-down cities in the world, you had to do something different to survive. Your previous coping tools were probably unavailable, now locked away by the virus and our government's response to it. You got up each morning and wondered how you were going to get through the day. The hours stretched beyond comprehension. You never knew time could change like that. We all did something, anything to get by, to pretend like we weren't aching for our families abroad or across town, to numb the terror of the unknown or the grief for the life lost at once. 
You may have chosen a liqueur or scrolling or walking in circles of five kilometres, of course. Um, I chose podcasts. It was a form that I didn't really know before. I mean, people would talk about podcasts and I couldn't understand the buzz. It was just a bunch of people talking, right? Wrong. Lockdown taught me to love this form, even though I thought I couldn't take on information from just verbal communication. I'm that person in lectures that write every single word the lecturer says, you know, the one at the front that doesn't talk to anyone? <laughs> That's me. Um, but not when listening to engaging podcasts about things I'm passionate about. I found the two topics I am most fascinated by explored deeply and in accessible language and format. Heavenly. I listened to every episode I could find on feminist storytelling, cultural criticism, as well as some disability-led shows. It was a learning experience at a time I thought learning was impossible. After a while, though, a niggling feeling of dissatisfaction sprouted in my stomach. With each new episode, I started noticing how a very successful disability show wasn't touching on many topics that are integral to my disability experience. Things like consent, gender, Instagrammable, ableist parenting expectations were being totally ignored. It struck me how a lot of the guests on these shows were quite privileged people, which skewed, again, the content of these shows. The hosts of these shows, it felt to me like they were broadcasting from another planet, one in which things were easy to dissect and solve, one in which they belonged. After a while, I couldn't listen anymore. I wanted to listen to stories of people who were dealing with similar problems to mine. At the time, I was a disabled person, still, uh, dealing with workplace discrimination, access to childcare barriers, isolation from family and from health supports, the emotional and physical pains that I was going through which I knew weren't unique, were being totally ignored in the popular storytelling scene. This lack of representation is so common. And as many marginalised folks would know, it has a way of making you feel powerless and isolated. Because if I don't belong in the feminist world or the disability world, where could possibly be my place? <laughs> I decided to do something about that. Um, and the idea for the podcast started brewing. A few weeks later, I resigned from my job then in the mental health field. And uh, on my first free day, I met up with a friend who I told about my idea, Matt McLeish. And we workshopped some details over coffee in the summer of 2020. It was a break between lockdowns, I swear. And we decided on things like the name, Unmarginalised, and the format, and the host, yours truly. I was terrified of what other people are going to think, but also pretty proud that I jumped straight into a new creative form, a form that allowed me to share stories 
of other marginalized people. My guests and I delve deep into the complex reality of belonging to multiple marginalized communities. In April 2021, we released the season and received such heartwarming feedback. Thank you. Ending the season was a disappointment. I wanted to keep going, but I couldn't without some financial support to pay for things like podcast hosting, subscription, and recording programs. Who knew you had to pay money for that? <laughs> Not me. But sharing the stories of other marginalized people has become an important passion for me. The mission of the podcast is to create spaces where multiply marginalized people can be ourselves, share our stories, and connect. Because there is no greater factor in healing as well as individual and social change than connection. With that mission in mind, I braved a few grants applications and I'm so humbled and proud to announce that the second season of the Unmarginalized podcast and this launch event tonight have been produced thanks to the support of the City of Melbourne Arts Grants. Thank you. For the next part of the night, I'm so honoured and humbled to introduce my guest, Carly Finlay. Carly works as Melbourne Fringe Access Advisor. She works to educate artists, venues and the wider art sector in creating accessible shows and builds and maintains close relationships with deaf and disabled artists. Outside of Fringe, Carly is an award-winning writer, speaker and appearance activist. Her first book and memoir called Say Hello was released in January 2019. Carly edited the anthology Growing Up Disabled in Australia with Black Ink Books. She writes on disability and appearance diversity issues for new news outlets, including the ABC, The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, SBS, CNN, and Vogue, I know. In 2020, Carly received, oh, I assume, Carly received the Medal of the Order of Australia for her work as a disability advocate and activist. She's a new roller skater, a lifelong Darren Hayes fan, and has never met a cheese she didn't like. <laughs> it's critical. Please help me welcome Carly Finlay. Carly! Hopefully she can hear us from backstage. Welcome, Carly. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Your bio mentions a little bit, um, people might know, but can you mm -hmm. tell us what intersections of identity do you navigate for people who may not know? Um, well, firstly, I want to absolutely recognise my privilege um, and also acknowledge that we're here on... You've, I know you've already done it, but yes. I've arrived on um, uh, unceded Aboriginal land. We're on Wurundjeri Wurrung country, I believe, okay. here. And pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past and present and extend my friendship to Aboriginal people who are in the room or watching the live stream or listening to the podcast. So thank you. Um, I intersect a number of identities. Um, I am a woman. I identify as disabled and I hadn't, or like I hadn't always, even though I have had a skin condition uh, and experienced disabling things all through my life. I didn't 
always recognise that. And I am a woman of colour, but that is also very hard to tell. I get a lot of assumptions that I am white. My mum is a coloured South African. That is her way of describing herself. I know that's not the most politically correct term now, but she used that when she was in South Africa mm. and now and she had to come to Australia to marry my dad that's where I yeah. intersect I also grew up in the country does that is that a marginalization <laughs> yeah so can you give us an example of what I guess belonging to all these communities for you a time where you faced barriers because of mm. belonging to all these marginalized groups Reece, most recently I I think I became comfortable as a disabled person, disabled woman. And so I got okay with managing that part of my identity because for so long I was just, um, you know, trying to manage a lot of ableism and I guess shame and try to find pride within myself. Mm. And it's quite hard to to find pride when you don't see yourself represented and don't... um, you know, aren't respected, I guess, by strangers in society, you know, with ableism thrown at at us. Ableism is discrimination towards disabled people. Um, And so, yeah, for a long time I didn't really see myself um, as a person of colour and I I never really understood that or or made time for that maybe. Mm. And it was only when I got comfortable with that disabled identity and then other people started calling me that. And I felt like I didn't... I couldn't. I felt like I, I couldn't take up space because I wasn't. Mm. I wasn't black enough. And I know for many people with ichthyosis, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I haven't met many people with ichthyosis who are as comfortable in their skin mm. as I am. And you know, and that that might be where they airbrush their photos or you know use filters on their photos or deny that they're red or deny that they're experiencing disabling barriers or deny that they look like someone else with ichthyosis because Mm. someone with ichthyosis the skin condition I have is more likely to look like another person with ichthyosis than they are than their sibling that's Mm. how the genetics work you know I've met lots of people around the world that look like me and it's pretty amazing but also getting mistaken for kids you know um you know I remember being at a party on the Gold Coast but this drunk person came up to me and was like oh my god I saw you I saw you on in Brisbane you know three weeks ago or something and I said oh no I'm I'm from Melbourne and they were insistent absolutely insistent and they're like yeah you were at this thing and oh no no wait how old are you and you know I must have been in my mid-30s then and I I said you know that oh no no I think this person was only 11. <laughs> I get a lot of lateral violence in the disability community and a few, a couple of years ago when Black Lives Matter um, got more prominence, particularly in Australia, I had written a piece about how I want to speak about racial, racial stuff more but sometimes I don't get believed because people see redness, not race, I guess. Mm. And I wrote this piece, I'm, I'm Not White, and part of the lateral violence that I experienced within the disability community was, um, yeah, that, you know, that I'm faking my race and my mm. disability. You know, you've already answered part of it. My yeah. next question, which is going to be, when belonging to all these communities mm-hmm. actually facilitate joy or connection uh, or meaning good. for you, which, I mean, you've touched on it. 
she might not know this, but my, one of my personal mentors is Namilla Benson, who works on the ABC. As I can hear some clicking, um, Namilla works on artworks, and she was the um, host of our ABC RN's arts arts program. Um, she's a broadcaster, like on community radio, and she's had me into train. And I met her on the train once. Like she used to follow my blog years ago, and I knew her. Um, I knew her cousin and we met on the train and, you know, we've been in real life friends since, you know, that then, 10 years ago. And just the relatability, I feel like, with being it with another person of colour, woman of colour, is just amazing and just look to her so much and just yeah. that. Yeah, she's really helped me. And even just being, um, yeah, even just being around other people of colour, First Nations people, that has helped me. But also in the disability community, that's been amazing as well. You know, lots I can see some people here that I know tonight, you know, friends, disabled friends, which is really yeah. exciting. So, yeah, it's yeah. been, you know, and then so many opportunities as well. Like, you kind of talk about the lateral violence and as well mm. as the meaning and connection. And so many of my guests over the last couple of seasons talk about how belonging to multiple communities can be so hard with a sense of inclusion. Yeah. I'm wondering for you, what does help you feel that you belong somewhere? Yeah, that's a good thing. I think people just getting it. Uh, but also, I think sometimes there's a danger of not not seeing colour or not seeing race or not seeing disability. Mm. And then there's a danger of, like, not creating any kind of inclusion. Mm. So, for example, I went overseas and I stayed with a family who should have known me and they didn't prepare their children. And so I was, like, I was overseas, you know, for the first time, which was great, but their children wouldn't look at me, wouldn't speak to me, were hiding behind their parents' legs. And when I was saying to them, oh, do you want me to talk to them about why I look the way I do? They were like, oh, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And that was really hard. So yeah. preparing people. And mm. I think one of the things is, especially when if you've got children, I'm not saying set your kid up with an Instagram account. I'm saying when you're on social media, scroll through and show them different people. Prepare them for that. Because mm. I can tell you the Miller's kids, you know, other, other people's kids, they're amazing because they've mm. seen me online and there's no yeah you know and what you said about people actually getting it I think it's very hard for people to get it but I think what's helped for me at least feel a sense of belonging is when people actually drop their assumptions and just bring a sense of curiosity and acceptance of yeah. the way people looking different or doing things different or walking different or whatever it is um, because we have so many assumptions and then when we don't meet them, then we get excluded. But when mm. I think, and it's so hopeful, I think all of us can actually learn to do that. Mm. And it comes to your point of preparing people and diversifying your feed. Yeah. You, we can all learn to mm. become curious and be accepting. Mm. And that can create change within ourselves and within mm. our communities as well. I think curiosity, though, can be tricky because... Mm people I don't know like if they if I've met them and then and then they're being curious about something yes for the whole time I've been with them and then they suddenly launch into yeah and we shouldn't have I think to. there's a difference between curiosity and nosiness like yes. you can be curious about how people live their life and be interested but not be nosy and ask inappropriate questions yeah <laughs> you can have this really normal interaction with someone and then you realize that they're thinking about something ridiculously able as well. 
Yeah. Or racist while you're sitting there. That's a really mm. weird thing as well, you know. How, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like they, they haven't been focusing on you in a respectful way. They've just been wanting to launch into that. Mm. And I think it will be it is more common for disabled women and disabled <laughs> gender non-conforming people. Yes. Um, which actually brings me to my next question. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much work right now, disability advocacy and feminism, mm-hmm. and there's anti-racism work. But to me, it feels like they kind of don't often overlap enough. Mm. What do you think about mm. well, integrating them? I think, firstly, we have to make all of them accessible for disabled people. So yeah. all of the workshops or whatever you're holding are accessible for all of the people. Because disabled people make up 20% of the population and chances are they're going to be in your marginalised community. You know, if yeah. you're in the LGBTIQA community or the... Um, people of colour community, First Nations community, etc. They're gonna, yeah. There's going to be disabled people, so make it, make your stuff accessible. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, and inclusive, and you know, have in, ensure that you invite people on your things hmm. from a disability perspective, but from all kinds, you know, yes. and intersection. And I guess it, some people in the audience tonight might be wondering, well, why do we need to integrate those things? I mean, it is different. Disability advocacy and feminism—they're not the same thing. I think it is important to highlight that those works are not as effective when they're separate. And one issue that really exemplifies that is sexual violence. Mm. Because most of you tonight would know that girls and women are more likely to, and gender non-binary people, are more likely Mm. to experience sexual violence than men and boys. But do you know that disabled girls and women and non-binary people are even more likely to experience sexual violence? So, so many of us experience that and, I mean, it happened to me several times and my sex, my gender and my disability have always been central to that experience. And one example, which I'm not going to go into any details about, but I was sexually assaulted by a doctor who was examining me for my disability. So, if I wasn't disabled, I wouldn't have been in that room. And mainstream feminism does not address this issue. And disability advocacy by itself doesn't often address this issue Mm. either. We have to, there's a power imbalance and we have to shift the power imbalance. And Mm. I'm not saying I have an answer to it, but I think we definitely have to centre the lived experience of multiply marginalised people in these works. So Mm. feminism has to include disabled people. And disability advocacy has to include diverse disabled people. You know, it has to include diverse <laughs> genders, diverse faiths of people yeah. in order to be actually effective and address yeah. these problems. And I think we should integrate them as we do on the Unmarginalised podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that when you have a disability... Uh, sorry, when you have a Women's Day event that the disabled person is a disabled man speaking... That's not good enough. Because um, when people you know, think of disability, said, uh, yeah. like inclusion of a ramp. I mean, great, a ramp is great, I love a ramp, but it's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. Okay. It's not enough. It's not, no. great. not great on roller skates. My yeah. final question to you, Carly, uh-huh. tonight, which I like to ask all of my guests okay. on the show. What does intersectionality mean to you? Mm. I think it means recognising that we have mar- like many facets of m- that make us up and that it is 
you know that thing where she doesn't let her disability define her? Yeah. <laughs> um, like let your thing define you. It's it's okay. You don't have mm. to hide it away, you know. Um, you don't have to ag- ignore it and pretend like it's not there. So, you know, let that – but also like find – find pride yeah I've been thinking a lot about this like I saw a really great event that Caroline Bowditch who's CEO of Arts Access Victoria um spoke at the other day a meeting place event and she said that she really wants to see disabled people in leadership positions because in like in disability related but in all leadership positions but particularly when they're disability related and the disabled person needs to be out and proud like I want to see this I want to see um you know out outness I guess and yeah. um, you know of, of other marginalization as well yeah. I think that that is important so obviously safe spaces need to be created yeah we're stronger together that's what intersectionality means yeah. to me and that, um, you know we, we look at all facets yeah. and you know for, for allies see color see disability yeah. see race gender <laughs> sexuality thank you Carly Great. Thank for you. me I think intersectionality intersectionality is very similar to yours and mm-hmm. I guess people being able to be themselves and I think creating spaces like this and collaborating and being allowed to tell our stories and connect. Um, what I've learned over the last couple of seasons is that we are also similar, not in everything, but in our desire to be seen, in our desire to be loved for exactly who we are with all mm-hmm. of our identities. And we all want to live our best life, a meaningful, joyful life, and we can do that if we have adequate, equitable support and autonomy. Mm. Thank you, Carly. Thank you. And Thank you for having me. That was very quick. It felt very quick. Yeah. But we do have some time for audience questions now. I just wanted to ask about your outfit. Can we just, while people have a, have a moment to think about, you know, more... Uh, deep questions. Can we just celebrate um, the both of you as disabled <laughs> fashion it? icons? Can we have a bit of a walk? Because, yeah. Look, yeah. No, you didn't. But you look fabulous. And thank you for being visibly disabled and doing the work for us. Thank you, Carly. I've got some <laughs> questions coming from people at home. Such incredible event, Carly and Liel. What do you think when people say, I don't see your disability? Well, I think we touched on that, but I think when you don't see my disability, you don't see me. Um, you don't see that I need a seat. Yeah. I need a fucking seat, okay? Yes. <laughs> uh, so if you don't see my disability, you don't see my access needs, you don't yeah. see my identity and my community. And also, like, there's that shame thing as well. Mm. Like if they if they think disability is so shameful, they're like, well, we're not going to seize that side of you because we don't want you to feel ashamed. Exactly. But, but we, are, yeah. I mean, both of us here yeah. are not ashamed mm. of who we are. We refuse to be ashamed. Mm. We have, a, I think it's a question for you, Carly. Yeah. What advice do you have for dealing with trolls? I've started speaking <laughs> out more and while there's a lot of support, there is a lot of horrible people out mm. there. Now I just block them. But I think that Twitter, Facebook and Instagram have some really good features in that you can control what words pop up in your mentions. So mm. on my Instagram and Facebook, I think, and, and Twitter, I've like muted all of the R word, M words, S words. Yeah. All of those words. So if you don't know, don't, just Google. Yeah. I don't, but don't, 
But yeah, you should know them. I mean, you shouldn't use them. Exactly. Yeah. And you should know what we're talking about when yes. we're talking about ableist yeah. slurs. We don't need to explain what the words are. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I do that. But now I just block them. But also, you can control who, sh- who responds to yep. your tweets. Okay. <laughs> What's one small step we can do every day to be more intersectional and acknowledge all of ourselves? So it sounds like it's coming Ooh. from someone who is also navigating intersectionality. I think a small step is kind of actually saying that to yourself and find mm. people from your communities. Uh, listen to the Unmarginalized podcast if you haven't listened uh-huh. already. But I think really saying that to yourself and saying that's okay and be out and proud, as Carly said, and like our intersectional identities are really good bullshit detectors. And so if you yes. kind of go to someone and go, I identify as whatever you identify as, if someone responds badly to that, you'll kind of know they're not your people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will see from people's responses mm-hmm. who are your people. And also, like, um, if you experience barriers, you are, you know, like disabling barriers, then it is okay to call yourself disabled. disabled. Exactly. Like if you've got, a, you know, a, an impairment or a diagnosis that hasn't happened yet, yeah. but you suspect that you might have it, and you're still experiencing these barriers, then it is okay. Yeah, we have another question. Thank you, Carly. Another question. Great. Hi. Um, recently, I've experienced um, sexism and ageism, and was um, a woman with color, and then by another woman with color, mm. and then I was really questioning that. You know, I'd love love to support other women, but when you know, sometimes that discrimination can come from mm. you know people who are both in the same yeah. <laughs> category yeah. and then you know I'm sure even within disability sector or you know oh, yeah. wherever so how can I keep up with that you know not losing my hope mm. that we can still mm. kind of stay together and be strong together and how you know I just wanted to seek your advice yeah it's really hard I think that it's okay to sometimes feel like things are really hard and just acknowledging that it is hard is a good step to then finding that hope, um, not to try and kind of suppress it because it is real and actually acknowledging it is real. The barriers that we face are real and the discrimination we face is real. And again, I think find your people. Don't give up on finding your people. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably, if you're feeling like that a lot of the time, it probably means you haven't found your people yet. And I've only found, you know, people that share a lot of my identities really recently. And I'm in my 30s. It took me a long time. Um, I think continuing to go to different places that you haven't tried before, that would kind of be my main advice. Mm. And uh, yeah, actually acknowledging that. Mm. Uh, I found a lot of people online. I don't know. That's obviously, there's bad and good in there. Yeah, I don't know, Carly, if you've got another yeah, tip. Yeah, I, I would say that. And also what Leon said before, um, you know, listening to this podcast, finding yeah. other guests that have been on there, connecting with them. We have another question from online. Uh, What are both your hopes for the future in terms of disability inclusion? I'll just start with saying that I think of kind of what I was talking about before. I think my hope is that disability inclusion is not going to just include disability. It's going to be integrated with feminism, integrated with anti-xenophobia, integrated with anti-racism. It's going to be integrated. Otherwise, I don't see those works Mm. as being as effective. Any other hopes Yeah, I, I really hope that disabled people are paid meaningful money for yeah. meaningful work. Um, you know, many disabled people are still living in, and you know, in group homes and working in sheltered workshops for $2 a day. Thank mm. you, Carly. Uh, we have well, final question time. Is there, there anyone, someone, here? Was someone that wanted a question? Hi. Hi. 
Um, I had a question about uh, people that have less visible um, disabilities, say mental health, for example. I know people who, um, you know, if they were outwardly, um, you know, sort of out about that, that it could cost them their jobs or other really significant things because those uh, certain conditions are really stigmatised. Uh, what would you say to people who are in those situations who, who want to advocate, who, who would like to be visible, but don't want to further disadvantage themselves uh, by, by being out and proud, as you, as you mentioned before? I think, firstly, to overcome that internalised ableism, starting by sharing, like, why, reading about why disability issues, I think, is, is important, like, knowing that your experience isn't the only disability experience, so reading up widely, because disability is diverse, and also um, not not letting the visibly disabled people be the only ones to speak up. So, for example, if you're encountering some sort of ableism, you know, say if someone uses the M word, right, in the office, and then say, I'm, you know, hey, please don't use that word. Maybe the invisibly disabled person could speak up for once and not let the, the visibly disabled person do that. Mm. But also know that... I think that disclosing disability and access needs... You don't have to disclose your disability to ask for access needs, by the way. You can say, yeah. I need to come into work at 9.30 every day and work till 5.30, for example, because those times help me better. Or um, You don't have mm. to talk about why you need to do that. Yeah. But also, um, you know, disclosing your your disability or talking about your existence, I think that's liberating. Like, it, yeah. you don't have to hide it anymore. It's like, oh, my God, I can breathe. I, exactly. I don't have to pretend I'm normal yeah. anymore. Normal yeah. in, you know, <laughs> you can just be. And, and, it's, and then you find your people. Yep. Yeah. I think um, it's a great point as well. You can be a good ally and speak up, even if you don't identify as disabled or you mm -hmm. don't identify as someone mm -hmm. who navigates intersectionality. You can speak up and say that's not okay. Um, if you have more questions that we haven't got to, go and find both of us. We have works available for everyone to read online. If you want transcripts of the episodes, more information and some more support options, all of that is available on my website, which mm -hmm. is lkbridgeford.com. The massive last thank you is to Carly Finlay for joining us tonight. Um, Carly you. has donated her fee for participating to... Face Equality International, which is going yep. to be donated. So thank you so much, Carly. I really am so grateful for no you being here and for all of your support. I don't usually do that just to <laughs> let you know if you want to book me. Thank you, everyone. Yes. We need thank to bump you. out before they thank kick you us so out. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Before we go, a grateful thanks to the City of Melbourne Ask Grant 2022 for supporting this episode and the entire second season of the Unmarginalised podcast. I would also like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was produced, the Bunarang people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening, folks. A final note from me. This was the very last episode of season two of the Unmarginalized podcast. We can only continue producing more episodes if we have enough listeners and financial means to do so. So if you want to hear more, 
please support the show by heading to my Patreon on www.patreon.com slash Bridgeford. Starting from the price of a coffee per month, you will not only help make sure this works is going to continue to be available, but also receive exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Lastly, please share the podcast on your social media pages. It's free and all helps us with this work. Bye for now.